This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Thank you. Um, first thing I want to say is I, rec- I want to recognize that many of you have uh, a lot more expertise and a lot more experience than I do with some of the issues that I'll be talking about, um, and I want to honor that and so we'll have time to talk afterwards, and I'll be learning from you as well. Uh, what I hope to do as, as one uh, trained in Christian ethics, I'm a Christian ethicist, by training with uh, expertise in Catholic social teaching is to bring to bear uh, the, the rich tradition of Catholic social teaching uh, to these issues uh, that, we, that many of you are facing uh, on your campuses, and that so many are facing on their campuses in, in this country and, and, and elsewhere as well. I've had conversations with academics from other countries, and as I'm sure you know, um, a lot of folks at other up, up institutions abroad are facing similar issues. So, uh, to piggyback on what John was saying earlier about labor law, if labor law is unfriendly to us, I want to start by saying Catholic social teaching is our friend, or can be our friend. Uh, and should be used as, as a resource, can be used as a resource, particularly at Catholic universities, um, to shed light to, and to evaluate some of the situations that we're seeing. Um, and so, I've, as John alluded, I've, I've written about this um, in recent years uh, in a couple of articles, and I just want to mention those articles at the outset, because I'm not going to be able to rehearse all of the arguments in those articles here. Um, it's not possible given the time, and I don't think it's desirable. But if you want to uh, delve into some of the areas that I'm going to just touch upon today a little bit more, uh, please feel free to have a look at these articles. I've posted them on my website, so they're, they're available. Um, they're, they're, there's open access to them. And um, one of those articles is, uh, I have actually here, um, because I usually forget the titles of my own articles. Um, Labor Unions, Adjuncts, and the Mission and Identity of Catholic Universities. Um, and in that article, I've tried to really um, counter some of the claims that folks, some folks have made regarding unionization on Catholic campuses. It's um, mind-boggling to me, but nonetheless, it's true that... Um, some folks, some administrators, for example, at some Catholic universities have argued that um, allowing unionization of adjuncts or any other employees will um, deter that Catholic institution from advancing its mission. Um, it, it, again, it's mind-boggling to me, but this argument has been made in a number of cases um, it's actually been made in an amicus brief that um, the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities filed, um, along with the support of the um, organizational bodies of a number of uh, religious orders. So I wanted to take on that argument uh, in this paper that I've published. So I've, I've laid out the case um, in much more detail than I can here. So uh, please have a look at that you're interested. Um, so, I, the title of my talk, Implementing Catholic Social Teaching at Labor 
on labor at Catholic universities um, implies that I'm going to talk about a whole plethora of issues um, when I'm really going to focus on just a handful. Uh, but I will say that, uh, in particular, uh, the situation of adjuncts uh, today I'm going to focus on. But I will say that uh, the arguments I'm making, I think, apply to all employees at universities. So whether we're talking about adjuncts, whether we're talking about food service workers, whether we're talking about uh, security staff, um, the, the arguments, I think, have um, greater import than just the situation of adjuncts, even though I'll be focusing on that particular situation today. So one of the things um, that I'm arguing in my work is that Many Catholic colleges and universities um, do a good job exposing their students to Catholic social thought, Catholic social teaching across the curriculum. And many Catholic universities and colleges do an admirable job of promoting justice and solidarity in the world beyond their walls. And, and they deserve credit for that. You know, a number of uh, incredible programs taking place on Catholic campuses uh, designed to embody Catholic social teaching in the world. But the argument that I'm making, and the, the issue I want to draw attention to, is that Catholic institutions of higher learning have to pay, must pay equal attention to embodying Catholic social teaching in their own communal and institutional practices, including their employment policies. And that embodying Catholic social teaching in this way, in our own communities, on our own campuses, um, is indispensable to, not antithetical to, as some have argued, but indispensable to the mission of Catholic colleges and universities. So that's the argument that I've, I've tried to lay out. Um, some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Catholic social teaching on labor and on workers' rights. Some of you may not be. Um, so I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on this um, and lay out some of the foundations of, uh, and, and, and the you know, concrete rights uh, principles with regard to uh, work for justice. So the, the Catholic social teaching takes as its point of departure the incarnation, God becoming human in Jesus Christ, uh, and thereby uniting God's self to all human beings. Uh, this belief, this central belief of the Christian tradition, undergirds the insistence on recognizing the rights and dignity of all human beings. If God, God's very self, is to be uh, understood as united with us and truly present with us, within us all, regardless of race, religion, gender, nationality, etc., then we have to recognize and honor the presence of God in all of us. So this is the, the theological foundation of human rights, the need to recognize human rights in, in Catholic social teaching. Uh, and it undergirds the insistence on the rights of all those who use their minds and bodies uh, to labor for the common good. In addition to this more theological foundation, Catholic social teaching also roots human rights, and particularly workers' rights, uh, in its understanding of the human person. So in human nature, or what Catholic thought uh, refers to as, as natural law. And so the rights of workers, like all other rights, are based on the very nature of the human person and his or her transcendent dignity. And so with that, those foundations in mind, let me just say a little bit about um, the concrete workers' rights that Catholic social teaching affirms. Catholic social teaching affirms. So we have uh, the right to a just wage, um, and I've, I've 
selected some of the key things that Catholic social teaching um, has to say about the right to a just wage. So first and foremost, um, as we know, unfortunately, even our universities, our Catholic college and universities, have adopted a sort of uh, market fundamentalism in which they believe that uh, wages should be determined by the market. Well, Catholic social teaching clearly has said, um, Pope John XXIII said in, in this document that I've cited, wages cannot be left to the marketplace. So we have, we should be, um, as Catholics and as Catholic institutions, operating with, within a different framework. Okay. And so the just wage must at least be a living wage, <coughs> Catholic social teaching. It must be equitable, and this means it must reflect one's contribution to um, the community, to the common good, and it must be sustainable. In other words, can this wage and, and, uh, and the wages of other workers be sustained over time? Uh, so a living wage in Catholic social teaching, and uh, the figures that I've depicted here, Paul Theodore Thirteenth and Monsignor John A. Ryan, um, are, are really key historical figures, uh, key advocates for the living wage. The living wage, uh, it's more than, I often say to my students, it's more than just a minimum wage. It's more than just enough to get by. It should enable workers to tend, attend to their um, full needs as a human being, uh, understood holistically. So attend to their own and their dependents' material, social, cultural, and spiritual life. In other words, a just wage must foster what's called a Catholic social teaching, integral human development. Um, I, hopefully the handouts have gone around. I, uh, in case you can't see this, I, I sent these around uh, to the PowerPoint presentation. Interestingly enough, Catholic social teaching has something to say about disproportionately high wages. Okay, so wage earners at the top. Uh, disproportionately high wages uh, are unjust particularly in a situation where people are being paid wages that do not allow them to um, attend to their needs and those are their dependents. Okay. Catholic social teaching also affirms the right to a, a family wage. Um, in other words, a wage that would enable uh, in, in a two-parent uh, household, it would enable one parent to provide for uh, the entire family. Okay. while the other is, is attending primarily to um, raising children. That's what the family wage says in Catholic social teaching. In addition to the right to a just wage, Catholic social teaching explicitly affirms rights to other uh, social benefits, uh, such as the right to health care, affordable, uh, affordable health care, rest, retirement pensions, unemployment insurance, workers' compensation, and maternity. Many of the things that we are hearing are being whittled away on our campuses. Right? Uh, Catholic social teaching also affirms the right to safe working conditions. Uh, and a labor scholar uh, by the name of James Gross has, has written very uh, profoundly about this as a part of the right to life. In other words, that the right to safe working conditions must be safeguarded uh, as a way of protecting the right to life. So the right to a working environment um, is something that Catholic social teaching affirms. Excessive labor is also seen as problematic in Catholic social teaching um, when, when workers are, are uh, beaten down, when their bodies and minds are beginning to be 
deteriorated by the work. This is something that's unacceptable. And so the state has an obligation uh, in accordance with the principle of solidarity to ensure, to regulate and to ensure occupational health and safety. This is not news to most of you, even though some Catholic university administrators have argued otherwise. Catholic social teaching has long affirmed uh, the right to unionize without fear of reprisal. And uh, this first quotation that I have is taken from Gallium and Spez, which some of you may know is the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. If you're not familiar with Catholic documents and the authority of Catholic documents, this document is, has the highest authority that any document can have in Catholic teaching because it comes from Vatican II. Um, and this document sees the right to unionize without fear of reprisal as a basic human right. If you will, um, you could say then that the right to unionize in Catholic social teaching is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. It can never be abridged. It can never be taken away. Uh, moreover, Catholic social teaching has seen uh, unions in a very favorable light. Pope John Paul II, I've done a lot of work on Pope John Paul II and the Solidarity Movement. I wrote a dissertation and a book about the Solidarity Movement. And John Paul wrote during those days of the Solidarity Movement that unions are a mouthpiece for social justice and an indispensable element of uh, social living. Pope Benedict, for his part, affirmed that unions are necessary more than ever. This is really important because uh, there are a number of Catholic thinkers who have maintained in recent years that all Catholic social teaching on unions, uh, that's passé, that's a thing of the past. That's back when Pope Leo and the other popes envisioned unions as something very different than what they are today. And so Catholics need not affirm the right to unionize. They don't have to recognize um, the importance of unions. Well, Pope Benedict just a few years ago said otherwise. And Pope Francis has reiterated that, that unions are necessary more than ever. Catholic social teaching also has something to say about discrimination in the workplace. Every form of discrimination is seen as unjust and unacceptable in Catholic social teaching. So this has implications for the workplace, obviously. Um, as the document I referred to earlier, points to, posits a woman's freedom to choose her vocation and that this must be upheld. Pope John Paul affirmed the right to, uh, to equal pay for equal work, protection for working mothers, fairness in career advancement, and equality of spouses with regard to family rights. So racism and any form of discrimination in the workplace is unacceptable. This part is, in particular is important because, again, there's what we've seen, many of you are unfortunately living through, the disconnect between Catholic social teaching on workers' rights and what's going on on the ground and what's happening in lived reality on many of our campuses. Um, this is unjustifiable, in my view, because the magisterium of the Catholic Church has, has explicitly said that these teachings must apply to Catholic institutions. Okay? Um, in fact, canon law mandates the necessity to pay a living wage and to recognize the right to unionize of, of all church employees. Now, 
we can of course have a conversation about the fact that Catholic college and universities are not um, ecclesial institutions per se. Most of them are corporations. Um, but at the same time, the fact that um, the U.S. Catholic bishops have said explicitly that church institutions have to uphold Catholic social teaching, and that the Catholic bishops explicitly um, in this document respecting just rights of workers sought to end union busting and mistreatment of workers at Catholic campuses, uh, sorry, at Catholic hospitals, um, that indicates to us that the, the argument cannot be made that these teachings can be ignored or uh, foregone at Catholic institutions. Um, and I think that the bishops who gathered in 1971 got it right in this document, Justitia and Mundo, when they said, if you want to talk about justice, and I, I think you know, if we were to push our um, administrators and decision makers at Catholic universities on this, none of them would say, well, we're not responsible for teaching about justice on our campus. Of course, they would agree to that proposition. Well, then the bishops have said, if you acknowledge the need to teach your students about justice, you must first and foremost be just. You cannot with any credibility teach about justice without being just. Okay, and that's something I'm going to stress a little bit later as well, if I have time. Uh, ex corde ecclesia, and I know the AAUP had discussions around ex corde ecclesia in years past uh, for other reasons. We'll leave those aside for now, um, those having to do with the, the mandatum. But ex corde ecclesia also says that uh, it's the duty of every Catholic college and university to engage in evangelization. Now, that word certainly can be problematic. Uh, ring problematically in some people's ears. But what I want to highlight is that evangelization, if it is, a it is a duty of every Catholic, as a matter of fact, every Christian, includes solidarity with the marginalized and the promotion of justice and liberation from every kind of oppression. Okay. And Ex Corte Ecclesiae, this document that John Paul II wrote on Catholic universities and their responsibilities and their mission, says that the university has, must take up this task of evangelization and be a living institutional witness to Christ and his message. Well, again, what I'm talking about here is not rocket science. Everyone in this room is extremely intelligent. We can connect the dots, right? If, if these universities are called to be living institutional witnesses, then how can they go about union busting? or mistreating adjuncts or other, any other employees. Um, Pope Francis has said that Catholic universities have to serve as a valuable resource for the evangelization of culture. And I argue that one of the dominant aspects of the culture, the pervasive culture in which we live and breathe, is neoliberalism. And neoliberalism has had a profound negative effect on our universities. The neoliberal corporatized university is something that Catholic universities are called to resist, not to embrace, as, as many of them have. And so, uh, again, Ex Corte Ecclesiae states that Catholic universities must be animated by the spirit of Christ. Well, I think Pope Francis just showed us most recently that includes <coughs> dialogue characterized by mutuality and respect. 
And again, some of you have shared already this morning stories that are antithetical to this idea. Um, another point that I argue is that, again, most Catholic institutions that I know of, and I believe all would acknowledge that they have a duty to teach Catholic social teaching on their campuses across the curriculum and various courses and programming, etc. Well, teaching Catholic social teaching must involve modeling it, must involve showing our students how Catholic social teaching can be embodied in the world. And that starts with showing them how it can be embodied in our own institutional policies and practices. You know, I, and I'm sure you could share some more stories. I've had students come to me and say, you know, Professor Beyer, that's wonderful, the Catholic social teaching you're, you're telling us about. The option for the poor, workers' rights, uh, solidarity. But I don't see that anywhere in the world. And I don't see that here on our campus. And so how can we teach Catholic social teaching to our students if we're essentially, if to use theological language, providing an anti-witness to it. Um, so we have to model those values. And I quote here uh, Rick Malloy, who is uh, Father Rick Malloy, is the Vice President for Mission and Ministry at Scranton University. He has a couple of very good articles uh, about what it means to be a truly Catholic university. Uh, and Malloy says, if we don't show our students another way, if we don't show them that neoliberalism and all its nefarious consequences for workers, for families, for the poor, um, if we don't show them that there is another way, we are essentially uh, communicating to them, subtly or not so subtly, that the meaning of life is all about pursuit of individual wealth pursuit of individual desires. And as Malloy says, we're telling them essentially that it's okay to look out for number one and grab all the gusto you can and forget about the poor and the oppressed. So you see, if we don't model what we're called to teach and trying to teach, this is what we convey to our students. The context within, these, within which we're having these discussions, we're having battles, uh, on some of our campuses um, is, as I alluded earlier, the, the corporatized university. And I know folks in this room know a lot about this, so I'm not going to belabor this point. Um, but it, what I'm writing about and arguing about is that one of the impediments, serious optical obstacles to promoting Catholic social teaching and embodying it on our campuses is this context of the corporatized university. Uh, Henry Giroux, in his book, Neoliberalism's War on Higher Education, writes that universities have become unapologetic accomplices to corporate values of power. And that the casualization of the academic workforce is a cornerstone of the corporatized university. Um, Father David Hollenbach, who's a, a university professor of human rights at Boston College, has written about this in the context of Catholic universities in particular, he says that um, if Catholic universities have decided not to resist the corporatized model of what a university is, then it's probably not going to be possible for them to really be faithful to their mission and to maintain their identity if they begin to and continue to operate like corporations. 
So again, there's a, it's a clash of values. You have the values of Catholic social teaching, which documents like Ex Corte Ecclesiae indicate should animate everything that we do at our universities. And on the other hand, the model of the corporatized university, which so many of our institutions have bought into. No pun intended. Um, that's the context in which all of this is taking place. So, going back to Catholic social teaching of workers' rights and saying something about the specific situation of adjuncts, this is not news to folks in this room, but uh, whereas 35 years ago, 75% of all of the academic workforce held tenured posts or tenure-track posts, today 75% of all posts are uh, contingent, all positions are contingent for part-time uh, temporary faculty or graduate assistants. Now, um, the national averages at Catholic institutions are very similar. Um, so, again, what I'm intimating here is Catholic universities are called to be countercultural in many ways, and yet in this way they're not, um, in terms of uh, creating more and more and relying more and more on contingent labor, uh, in particular adjuncts. And as we know, um, women are disproportionately affected by the situation, um, the casualization, adjunctification of the, the, the academic labor force. And if we begin to explore a little bit further, we start to ask questions about whether or not um, adjuncts are being paid a living wage which again, according to Catholic social teaching, is, is a right of all workers. Um, here are some statistics about uh, the average wages of adjuncts, uh, both per course and over the course of a year. This is familiar, so I will not belabor this. Um, what I tried to do in my research is to find out well, what's, going, what's the situation look like at Catholic institutions. The first thing I'm going to admit is it's hard to get the data. Uh, if I want to look, if we want to look specifically at Catholic institutions. In other words, asking the question, okay, so Catholic institutions are called to do better by their workforce. Are they doing better? Um, so it's not that easy. We need to get more data. We need to have more dialogue, and transparency is necessary. Uh, I, for my part, have created, and I'll see if this will actually work. Um, a research uh, tool survey uh, that I call Embodying Catholic Social Teaching on Campus. And um, I finally got IRB approval just uh, last week. So this survey is designed to ask questions like, does your uh, campus have a living wage policy? Does your campus have a just employment policy? Does your administration recognize the right to unionize. Uh, so I think that one of the things I want to do is generate more conversation around these issues and ask folks like you to undertake this kind of research, you know, to get more data so that we can um, have it. You were talking about the data that you did, which I, I think is, is wonderful that, that, that you found that data. Uh, but I do think it's necessary, even if people will dismiss it, it's, it's handy to have. Um, I've looked at the adjunct product database, which um, my reading of, of the data that I found there is that 
There are some Catholic institutions that pay significantly better um, than the national average, but for the most part, the situation is the same. So, um, as you can see, um, I've, I've listed, th th again, this is data from the adjunct uh, database that the Chronicle um, hosts on its website. So this is self-reported data. It's quite limited. What, if some of you have looked at this, you'll, you'll know that, uh, this database, you'll know that um, very often one person has reported his or her salary, adjunct salary at institution. So it, again, the call for uh, more data is, is rooted in, in looking at this. But from what I can see with that limited data, um, you have great variance. And this may not be news to, to many of you, but uh, I've listed these Pennsylvania institutions here that pay adjuncts anywhere from $4,100 to uh, $2,050. Uh, nationally, the divergence is even greater. So you have places like Georgetown, where adjuncts have reported being paid $6,000. Um, oh, and by the way, I should have said, in order to make my task easier for today, I, I looked at the salary of religion or theology professors. So I'm not comparing, obviously we don't want to compare this, the salary of an adjunct professor in the business school or law school to that in, in the humanities. These are all folks that are teaching religion or theology. Is this um, per credit or per course? Per course. And again, it's self-reported data uh, from the, the adjunct project uh, website. So, great variance. Um, as you can see. So in addition to the question of whether or not adjuncts are being, uh, being paid just wages, and I think you know those of you who are much better at math than I am can see that um, the answer is no, that on many campuses adjuncts are not being paid a just wage, which again must be a living wage at least, uh, according to Catholic social teaching, we have this issue of union busting on Catholic campuses. And I'm aware of at least six um, Catholic campuses where active drives to, to unionize are taking place and university administrators are resisting those. Okay. Even though, as I said to you earlier, the right to unionize without fear of reprisal is a basic human right according to the most authoritative kind of document you have in Catholic teaching. But you still have this going on. So what gives? What, what are they... How do they try to justify this? So um, the, the, they have argued, this is the legal strategy, they've argued that um, Catholic institutions should not be subjected to the authority of the NLRA and or the NLRB uh, because it violates their right to religious liberty. Um, and I've, I've taken on this argument at length in the paper uh, that I published, so I, 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 if you're interested in this part of this struggle, I would encourage you to, to read uh, that, that portion of my article. Uh, in short, what, what I want to say here is um, this argument is a red herring. Uh, it really holds no water, and it's a non sequitur. Um, because It doesn't make sense. First of all, Catholic institutions have essentially, in my reading of the situation, um, invited the jurisdiction of the NLRA or invited the involvement of the NLRB 
because one could hold a union election without involving the NLRB, right? Uh, if the problem, in other words, if the problem that Catholic universities have is that involving the NLRB in a union election is a violation of religious liberty, well then, you could recognize a card check. You could come up with other procedures according to, you know, which, which are allowable. An election accord, uh, in, in accordance with the NLRA, the union election doesn't have to involve the NLRB. So that's one strike. Second, um, Susan Stabile, who is a professor of employment law at uh, St. Thomas, University of St. Thomas in Minnesota, has rightly pointed out that Catholic institutions have, have not objected to all sorts of governmental oversight that they're already subjected to. You know, those of us in this region of the country go through middle states evaluation on a regular basis. Uh, so, th th and there's all sorts of other forms of government oversight that Catholic institutions have not found to be problematic. So why now? <coughs> why cherry pick when it comes to this issue? Um, the argument for, from my standpoint as a Catholic ethicist that I, that I want to stress is that it, it's a non sequitur because, the argument is a non sequitur because it's not as though the NLRB or any other uh, governmental institution is asking Catholic institutions to do something that is against their teaching. In other words, these governmental agencies are not trying to impose a heteronymous law onto Catholic institutions. Catholic institutions themselves are supposed to recognize the right to unionize because it's in Catholic social teaching. Um, so I think that the argument is really nonsensical. Um, and I've tried to lay that case out in, in greater detail here. Um, one thing I, I point to is Pope John Paul II recognized, um, directed his um, fellow bishops at the Vatican to recognize the ADVL, which was the, and continues to be, the unionized lay workers of the Vatican. You see, John Paul, St. John Paul, understood we can't teach this right if we don't recognize it ourselves. And so I raise the question, on what basis can Catholic universities claim that unions are antithetical to the harmonious vision of Catholic social teaching on management labor relations if Pope John Paul II allowed <coughs> employees to unionize? It makes no sense. Uh, so I, I want to, first of all, I know I'm running short on time. I just want to say something about some positive developments. Um, that you may or may not be aware of. Some of you, I'm sure, are aware of uh, the fact that in 2005, Georgetown University adopted a just employment policy, and uh, which, which I've listed here, uh, the, the link to it. That there's a lot of backstory to that. I've met with people that were involved in the campaign to get this implemented at Georgetown. I've met with students and, and faculty and staff. And uh, it wasn't easy. It did not come easy. Students engaged in a hunger strike. <laughs> Students occupied the president's office. Um, so it would be a fallacy to say that the, the administration, I think it would be a fallacy to say the administration, you know, willingly from the very beginning embraced this idea. They did come around, though, 
um, to adopting it. And so um, I want to just show you something, if I may, um, because I find this quite remarkable. Georgetown not only has adopted this policy, they now use it to tout themselves as a truly Catholic university. I see it on my screen. You don't see it on your screen. Well, you? yeah. well, in the interest of time, uh, I, I would invite you to, you have the link on the, the, the handout that I gave you. Uh, there are a number of workers uh, who are interviewed along with the Vice President for Mission and Ministry at Georgetown, and they talk about the importance and the value of the just employment policy. Uh, from the standpoint of the administration, uh, the Vice President for Mission and Ministry, Kevin O'Brien, talks about how it really has enabled Georgetown to live out its Jesuit Catholic mission. Uh, the workers talk about how it has really enhanced their lives, their sense of dignity and pride in what they do, the recognition by the university that what they do is important. Um, this policy was extremely important in the efforts to unionize at Georgetown University that took place uh, a couple of years ago and uh, culminated in the first union, union adjunct union contract uh, last summer. And so, uh, contrary to what some Catholic institutions have argued, Georgetown's administration not only was open to adjuncts unionizing, they were helpful in unionizing. Uh, and so, Georgetown provides a model for what can be, uh, not only in its just employment policy, which all the rights that I emphasized earlier from Catholic social teaching are codified in Georgetown's just employment policy. So the right to a living wage of all workers on campus, the right to unionize without fear of reprisal, the right to safe working conditions, etc. That's all in Georgetown's policy. Um, I've been working with a group of uh, scholars and uh, students, most of them located at Georgetown, but from other institutions as well, in promoting uh, the Just Employment Project. And so over a number of years, we came up with a model Just Employment Policy that we are encouraging other Catholic institutions to adopt. And the folks from the Kalmanovitz Initiative of La uh, for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown, um, they some, some of the staff there visit Catholic colleges working with students, faculty, and staff to try to promote this on their campuses. So this is something that some of you might be interested in doing, and I'd be happy to contact you with people uh, at Georgetown if you would like them to come to your campus to talk about this. Uh, there are other efforts to promote workers' rights on campus, um, adjunct unionization efforts at other schools. Um, the Just Employment Campaigns at Loyal Chicago, John Carroll, students particularly have taken the lead at those institutions in trying to encourage or maybe even compel their administrations to adopt a Just Employment Policy. 
Uh, and going back to what I said earlier about the need to walk the walk if we want to really teach with any credibility Catholic social teaching, I just want to read for you, and I'm going to, I'll close with this, a couple of uh, quotations that I found in articles about these campaigns at Loyola of Chicago and John Carroll. Um, one student at Loyola of Chicago recently said this, I think that students are very upset when they see a disconnect between what we're preaching and what we're practicing. I never want to see a university, especially mine, not live up to its mission fully, and I think this is an area where it doesn't. And so I found that this, this kind of sentiment is beginning to uh, swell up on Catholic campuses. And it's really, from my conversation with the folks at Georgetown, it's really important to tap into that, that positive energy of students. Uh, lastly, uh, this is my last slide, I think again I want to reiterate the need for more dialogue, more transparency, models, look to models of places where uh, efforts have been successful, like that of Georgetown. Um, conscientization, some of you alluded to this earlier, there's a lot of education that needs to happen. Some of our colleagues don't know what's going on, um, let alone our students. I think um, it would be helpful to try to push Catholic universities, actually not just Catholic universities, um, to adopt the just employment policy. Another thing that I advocate is um, using what the USS, USCCB has written about Catholic hospitals in this document respecting the just rights of workers and saying, hey, wait a minute. If the Catholic bishops have said that all hospital workers should have the right to unionize, that all hospital workers should have the right to a just wage, which is at least a living wage, why not the same at Catholic universities? And so it may be possible, I'm not sure, but it may be possible to engage some bishops uh, in this, in this uh, discussion. And I look forward to talking with you about ideas that you have um, for, for trying to envision a better future um, and using Catholic social teaching as a resource in that endeavor. Thank you.